Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. You know, I love this clip. We quote it a lot around our house, but how many know there will always be bullies in life? I wanted to use this clip because it doesn't matter if we're 10 years old or we're 80 years old. There's always going to be bullies in life. And so keeping with the theme of the amazing race, Forrest overcame a handicap by the encouraging shouts of a friend yelling at him, you can do it. Come on, run, Forrest, run. And how many know we all need somebody in our corner that is helping us overcome the things that life has shackled us with to tell us that we couldn't do it, the labels that life has put on us. Um, It's the first time in his life that he realizes that he is good at something. I love that. And he says, and from that time on, anytime I was going somewhere, I was running. Right, everybody? Come on, I just like that. I love me some Forrest Gump. And by the way, I've met Forrest Gump, everybody. I took a flight from Seattle to Atlanta trying to get to Birmingham, Alabama. And I was in Atlanta about 3.30 in the morning in a downstairs runway, just going to catch a little uh, puddle jumper over to Birmingham. And it was just maybe 25, 30 of us. It was early. I'd flown red eye all night long. And I was trying to get to this conference, and, and I was leaning up against the pole and just tired. And I opened my eyes up, and I seen just like this down, down below a pair of those Nike tennis shoes. You know the ones that he wore? And they were all be. How many of you have not seen Forrest Gump? Can I see your hands? What a sin. I can't, you're in my family. Carmen, one of the rules in the Hubbard household is never raise your hand if it's going to hurt my sermon. All right? Okay. So anyway, buddy, you better get a handle on your wife is what I got to say, all right? Anyway, I looked down and I seen a pair of those Nike tennis shoes all beat up like Forrest Gump he wore. And I thought, oh, man. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, those look like Forrest Gump tennis shoes. And I looked up, and I seen those white cream-colored pants. And I said, man, those look like Forrest Grump pants. And I looked a little farther, and there was a white cream blazer and the blue shirt and the goofy haircut. And there he was, sitting there like that. And I'm like, that's Forrest Gump sitting right there. And I started thinking to myself, now, I know I've seen the movie. I remember how long it's been. And I'm trying to place, like, is he a real character, fictitious, or what, what, what is going on here? And I thought, man, I'm too tired to even get into it. I don't, I don't want to strike up some conversation. I don't want to be like a stargazer, like, wow, could I have your autograph, you know? And, and so we got on this little airplane. It wasn't full. And could you believe, here comes Forrest Gump, and he sits on the aisle right across from me. And I can't stand it the whole time. It was just like a little 45-minute flight. And the whole time I was like, do I say something to this guy or not? Do I say something? And finally we landed. I didn't say nothing. We got off. And it's a quiet airport in Birmingham at, you know, 4, 4.30 in the morning. And we're walking down the corridor. Believe it or not, me and Forrest come. He's right beside me. And we're walking. And I finally, I can't stand it anymore. I said, this might be a stupid question, but are you Forrest Gump? And he turned to me and said, well, stupid is as stupid does. And I said, come on, man. I said, you're messing with my mind. Anyway, long story short, he ended up being a lookalike that went around and promoted the Bubba Gump restaurants all over the nation. 
Yeah, that's what I said. I said, like, woo, all right. I know we have guardian angels, but in the form of Forrest Gump? I mean, come on now, right? Uh, our series is all about those Bible greats, the voices that are shouting for us like little Jenny did for Forrest. Run, put your name in the blank. Because there are times when bullies come out. There are times when the world is shouting at us why we can't finish the race. But I want you to hear the Bible greats come out of the pages of history and step into our lives and yell, Run, Ken, run. There might be those within the sound of my voice today, either in this room or watching online. And sometimes it's like, man, do I keep on going? I've had some hurts. I've had some discouragements. I've had some disappointments. I've had, I have weaknesses. I've had, I have failures. And I want you to hear the voices of the great because they've been through the same things you and I have been through. And the Bible tells us that they are shouting for us to run our race. Man, that's coming from somebody that's already run their race. Now, the whole premise of this is Hebrews chapter 11, which I haven't read, which is filled with all the greats in the what I call the Heroes Hall of Fame of Scripture. And after it lists all those heroes in the Hall of Fame, and you'd be surprised some of them that are, we're going to visit in this series, you'd also be surprised some of those that didn't start off very good, but they ended good. And the Bible says that by faith, so-and-so did such-and-such. And the Bible then goes on and says that all of those, it's almost like if you could get the imagery, they're in the stands cheering for us to run our race. And so because of Hebrews chapter number 11, Hebrews chapter number 12, it opens like this. It's our theme verse. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, mm, I like that, let us, let us throw off. Everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Let us, if we could keep with the Forrest Gump illustration, let us throw off every weakness. Let us throw off every discouragement. Let us throw off every handicap. Mm, I'll get an amen out of you yet. Let us throw off every obstacle, every offense. Oh, I knew I'd get you eventually, huh? The sin or the things that entangle us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Uh, I think I have verse number two there also, don't I? Or is that, is that all I got for right now? Yeah, that's all I have. That's what I did the other weeks. All right. And so my whole idea behind this is what, what would those heroes, if they could come out of the stands, if you remember week one, we had Derek Redmond's father that came out of the stands, pushed his way through security and got up under his son, and they finished the race together. What would it look like when you're discouraged if one of those greats would come out of the stands? In week number one, we had Noah that came out of the stands. And, and, and if we could just pick one sentence out of his entire life or the book that he's in in the Bible, I think Noah would say that one man can make a difference. We talked about that in week number two. Last week in week number two, Abraham, the father of our faith, he comes out of the stands and he reminds us to expect delays and detours. To not get discouraged when delays and detours come into our life. And so those are the two we've talked about so far. And so today I want to bring somebody else to the forefront. I, I, in fact, I want a woman to come out of the stands. Can I get an amen from the ladies out there? And, and you better be careful because the ladies are going to preach to us now, man, all right? And here comes Rebecca out of the stands. She's the, she is the uh, daughter-in-law of Abraham. 
And Rebecca comes out of the stands, and when you read her story, and I'm just going to summarize, I think if she came out of the stands to run a lap with us, I think what she would say is to live life generously. As we look at her life, you can't help but notice how generous she lived her life. Live life, I think she would say something like this, live with your hands down and not with your hands up. Hmm. My pastor told me years and years ago, he said, Ken, if you lived with your hands up like this, always expecting somebody to give something to you, you'll receive on your birthday and Christmas. <laughs> but if you will adopt a lifestyle where you live with your hands down and you give, you will receive every single day of the year. That's what I believe Rebecca teaches us. Abraham is the father of our faith. Now, let me set this story. And he's getting older. And he has one promised son, Isaac, and, and he's the promised son, and he was asked uh, to sacrifice Isaac. So Abraham might be a little overprotective of Isaac. How many, would you, how many parents would say, yeah, I can see why? I mean, he waited until he was old. Isaac is finally born after all we talked about last week. Then God asked him to sacrifice him. Weird Old Testament story, but it has some meaning to it, not today's message. And, and so he might be just a little overprotective of Isaac. And, and so he's going to, he, he wants to ensure that Isaac's marriage makes it. So he decides he's going to pick Isaac's spouse. Come on now. Now that might sound weird to America's culture today, but it was the custom in that day for parents to pick out our spouses. Ooh, there's a lot of good things I could talk about right there, but I'll go forth. So Abraham picks one of his chief servants. If you know this story, it's in the Bible. I'll reference it here in just a minute. So Abraham picks one of his chief servants. He loads the servant down. He gets ten camels, loads the ten camels down with jewelry and goods to find a wife for Isaac. Now the ladies are like, pick me, pick me, right? All right, and so he loads ten camels down with jewelry and goods and sends the servant out to find a spouse, to find a wife for Isaac. How many believe Isaac was praying really hard that week? You know what I mean? Oh, Jesus, please. You know, right? Okay. So here's the story in Scripture, Genesis chapter number 24. I got a few random verses, 12 through 15, then we'll skip 17 to 22. There's a lot here, a lot of reading, but let me, let me take the time. Then he prayed. This is the servant. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master, and before he had finished praying, don't you love it when you're still praying and God answers? That's a miracle right there. That doesn't happen all the time. But while he's still praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulders. It goes on and says, the servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. I bet in his mind he was saying, Shazam, Gomer, pile. This is the one, right? 
All right. She said, I'll draw water for your camels, too, until they have finished drinking. Let's see. Do I have some more? So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring. Come on, girls, all right? That's where it all started. That's, that's where the, the whole piercing thing, it started right there, all right? Uh, took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Okay, there's a lot in there, right? First of all, i got to deal with the camels real put fast, just to kind of put this in perspective, all right, everybody? A dehydrated camel can drink 53 gallons of water in less than three minutes. How many know she's a busy girl, right? I mean, I don't know if she's beautiful or not, but we know she's a bad girl. I mean, she can, right? Now, it's more likely, it was more typical that they would drink 20 to 30 gallons at a time. So I just want you to watch this. I couldn't help it. When I read this, I start doing the math. I I just start thinking the logics and the logistics of this. So here's what I want you to see. Ten camels at 20 gallons each is 200 gallons. That's a big chore for a day. Can I get an amen from the ladies? The ladies are like, big deal, I do that all the time, all right? So, so that's 200 gallons drawn with a five-gallon jar. Okay, so men, let me get you in on that. That's one of them orange Home Depot buckets. Everybody got that? Okay. So she has an orange Home Depot bucket, and she is going to serve 200 gallons out of that. If you do the math, that's 40 trips, okay? 40 trips at three minutes each equals two hours of feeding camels. This woman is Hercules. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I might even be afraid of her at this point. You know what I'm talking about? She had a, but here's what she had. When I read that story, I recognize something about her life. She had a generous and then some spirit and attitude about her. She didn't do just enough to get by. She was willing to go the extra mile. And I think that's what she would talk to us about right now. I think that Rebecca jumps out of the stands and says that the best way to run this life and the best way to run this race is to not live it selfishly and to not run the race, come on, all by yourself, to run with the help of others along the way. I think she would say, live life generously. Amen, everybody? Come on, right? I don't think there's a better illustration than this than back in 1976 at the Special Olympics down the road from us in Spokane. There were nine contestants that were all physically and mentally disabled. They assembled at the 100-yard line to to start the 100-yard dash. And the gun fired, and they all started off except for this one little boy who he stumbled and fell face down on the asphalt there. And, And he was down and he began to cry. Well, one of the runners, which was a little girl, he, she seen out of the corner of his, her eye that he had fallen. She went back, and uh, if you know this story, she had Down syndrome, and she went back. She helped him get up. She kissed him and said, this will make it better. I try to use that line all the time on Patty, I tell you. <laughs> then the two linked armed and walked together across the finish line. 
You see, this is the attitude right here. In my mind, how many know that girl in the Special Olympics was the real winner that day? She was the real gold medalist. Uh, She understood generosity better than a whole lot of other people do. You see, generosity should not be a new concept to us. Generosity ought to be a subject that we talk about and live out all the time in this thing called the Christian race. As a matter of fact, half of all the parables in the New Testament talk about generosity. Come on, somebody. I said half of all the parables are talking about generosity. Generosity is spoken about two times more than heaven or hell. Mm Mm-hmm. Rebecca's life was radically changed because she said, let me help you. What would life look like if we lived with a let me help you attitude? What would life look like if we watered a few camels? How many know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, her life was radically changed because of this attitude. If you know the rest of her story, then you'll understand that she marries into the family line of Jesus because she said, let me help you. Abraham's servant said, she's the one. (laughs) He loaded her down with jewels, put a gold ring in her nose, and proposed for Isaac. Uh, That's the story right there, which is the family line of Jesus. Well, I wonder what would happen if we lived our life like that. Better yet, if we ran our race with this attitude. What if we ran our race? Church, what if we in the church was generous? What if we just decided to have a generous lifestyle? Here's the way I've always described generosity to people. I said, generosity, it looks like a cross. It's when we, when we love down. So in other words, it's when we're generous to those that are less fortunate than us. It's when we go out on the Saturdays and we feed the homeless and we put shoes on their feet and we help those that have fallen down in life. How many of you in here have ever fallen down in life? Anybody at all? Yeah. It's, it's when, we, when we reach down or we stoop down to pick those up to help them come up to a higher level. So I call it this, it's loving down. But generosity is not just loving down. We don't just stop there. we got to love side to side. And side to side, this is where we get hung up the most because a lot of people will help those that are beneath them or lower than them or hurting, but will you help those that are on the same level as you, Ah, those that you are competing against? Will you turn around and help the very person you're trying to beat in the race, right? And so will we not just love down, but will we love side to side? In other words, will we love each other that we're doing life with? Will we love each other that we come and sit in black chairs with? Will we love each other when we go home and we don't have to pretend to be nice anymore? Well, we love side to side, and then ultimately, generosity is loving up. So we love down, we love side to side, and we love up, and we look to our Father, and we love Him. More than ever, at the age I am now, I want my life to count. I think about it more now than I ever did. I don't know if it's healthy or unhealthy, but, but I think more now than I've ever thought about, about what will be said about me when I'm dead and gone. I know that sounds a little bit morbid, but I want my life to count. And I think that it will if I live generously for others. And I think yours will too. I did a funeral service yesterday for our dear friend Lynn Boltzer. 
and people got up one after another. The ripple effect was impossible to measure. The ripple effect of how many people he helped come off of alcoholism and drugs and drug rehab centers all over the nation that now there are over 700 rehab centers across the nation because of some act of generosity he did way back in the 1970s. The ripple effect is impossible to measure. It's one of the reasons, guys, I want you to know this. I can't wait. Young men's discipleship, I can't wait to hang out with you. I really can't. I can't wait to start the young men's life group because here's the deal. I wish when I was 20 and 25 and 30 that I would have had somebody with gray whiskers on their face to come along and tell me, hey, watch for that pitfall. Hey, you need to be a little nicer to your wife. Hey, you need to be a godly husband. Hey, here's how you manage your finances. They could have saved me a a whole lot of pitfalls. Come on, am I right about this? Uh, If I would have had those men in my life, and now I realize as I look at my life, I have a few scars on my life, and what if I could pour those experiences and the ripple effect of better marriages and better children and godly children and save them from some pitfalls? Come on, everybody. we got to live generously. Mm-hmm. I, I wish somebody would have taught me that. i got to get to Rebecca. Here's what I think, and this is just my own verbiage, but as I read her life, I, I think Rebecca says four things to us about living generously. Let me give them to you. Number one. Number one is that you can't be generous and keep score at the same time. You cannot. Now, I, I would love to turn this into a marriage seminar right now. Men, you cannot unload the dishwasher in the morning. Never mind. I got to just never mind. All right. Uh, you can't keep score is what I'm trying to say. Uh, let, me, let me turn it into the church world and some of the things that uh, make me nervous. You can't give. Christians, hear me. You cannot give and keep score of what you've given with the expectation of getting something back. Wait a minute. I already hear the theologians arguing with me in the room. See, see, I don't believe in the manipulative prosperity gospel message. I don't believe in the, if you give, now you've held God up with a scripture verse and with your offering, and now God is obligated to give back. Now, that's hard to preach because at the same time, I do believe in the law of the harvest. I do believe the scripture that says, give, and it shall be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So I I find myself in this paradox, while I do believe you can give and God will give back, because you can't outgive God, right everybody? But I don't believe that you give with the attitude of giving. It's not about the principle, it's about the attitude. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot buy God. How many know that, right? He knows our hearts, everybody. We don't give to get, even though that always happens with God, doesn't it? We give out of a pure heart. God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. See, I've heard some incredible stories in the church world where somebody will come and say, wow, God gave us a blessing, and we turn around and bless somebody, and they talk about how awesome it was, and it was this one-time event. 
And I want you to understand that God is looking for the person he can continue to bless. It wasn't a one-time blessing, but it's going to take the person with the Rebecca mindset that understands the reason I'm blessed, the reason I have this strength, the reason I have this talent, the reason I have this surplus is so that I can turn around and bless somebody else. And when we bless somebody else, that's a harvest. Then God says, that's a good investment. Let me put some more blessing in that person because they're blessing my people. And by the way, God loves people, everybody, right? Right? You don't give because someone has manipulated you or showed you a sad video, or you don't give with some ulterior motive. When you're tithing and giving to the church, God is looking for a willing giver and a cheerful giver. How many know? Not a reluctant giver, not somebody that's mad. Come on, everybody, right? 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 says something about this. It says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart. So in other words, this is a heart conviction thing. Not somebody talking you in and twisting your arm into it. Okay? What he's decided in his heart. And not reluctantly. Don't, don't do it because you have to. Do it because you get to. Right? Not reluctantly, watch this, or under compulsion. In other words, don't be manipulated into giving. Um, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God, now watch this, verse number 8 fires me up. So he says, don't give because you're manipulated. Give what God is speaking into your heart. How many know your heart can be saying something different than your brain? How many know that to the world, you giving to the work of Christ does not make sense in their brain? But you know what God is putting in your heart. Am I right about this? And then I love verse number 8 because it says, And God then is able to make all grace, not some grace, all grace. Grace is unmerited favor. So if you read it this way, then God's able to make all favor abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That covers it all, doesn't it, everybody? I mean, come on now. I love that. See, if I stand up here and I manipulate you to give, then the blessing is removed from the gift that you give because you were manipulated to give rather than following the leading of God to give. Right, everybody? Let's have a willing spirit. I'm not on this platform ever asking you for something. I'm not up here since the day we started our church. I've never taken an offering. I've never asked you for money. We've never made faith promises. We've never made pledges. We've never said, if you don't give, we've come through COVID. We never said, if you don't give, we're going to close the doors. Never have done that. Um, I've never stood up here and begged for workers, although I've been close with kids ministry. How many know that, right? I've never done that trying to get something out of you. Watch this. Because I don't want you to give out of compulsion. I don't want you to give because your pastor asked you to. I want you to have a Rebecca's heart. I, I, I don't want to. I, I, I want the guilt off of you. I don't want to put the guilt on you. That's giving out of compulsion. Amen, everybody? And then, and then when we're given out of that, we're, given, we're, we're not given with a generous heart if somebody's twisting our arm to do it. Number two, here's what I think the second thing that Rebecca would say. You can't run the second mile until you've run the first. I know if you're looking for something way more profound, that's all I got, everybody. But that's what I get out of her story. I know it's simple, but don't let what we can't do stop us from what we can do. 
It's what I say all the time as we reach out to those that are hurting in our community. Yes, I am dreaming and believing that one day we will either build a village of tiny homes or we'll buy an abandoned hotel and we'll bring the homeless in and we'll have them live there and disciple their life for a year. I believe that day will come. But we're not going to sit around and wait for nothing and do nothing until that day comes. We're going to go out there and give them goodie bags and give them shoes and give them sleeping bags and love on them. Come on, everybody, right? We got to do what we can do. Don't wait until you win the lottery to do something. Because you're not going to win it. I'm just telling you. No kidding. I had a guy in my church one time. We were pretty close, okay? And, 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 and I was a little more forward than I am now. And he. We got to reevaluate who's sitting on the front row, honey. I'm just telling you. All right. So, so he said, he asked me, no kidding, he asked me, I think the lottery was up to like $300 million. And he came to me all sincerity. He said, Ken, would you just really pray that I would win the lottery? And I said, sure, I, yeah, that's not a bad prayer to pray. I'll pray that. He said, if I win, I'm going to pay my tithes. And without even thinking, it slipped out of my mouth. And I said, no, you won't. Have you ever said something that you wish you wouldn't have said? Then he looked at me and said, well, how dare you? And then I was in it, so I had to finish the statement. I said, what makes me think you're going to pay the tithe at this level when you're not paying your tithes at this level? Huh? See, we have this thing called, I would never say that nowadays. Aren't you glad, everybody? But we have this thing called destination disease. All of us are saying, well, one day when, then I will. When the kids are out of the terrible twos, I'll quit being stressed. When the kids are out of junior high, I'll be happy. When the kids are out of high school, then I'll decide to be happy. I I mean, it's always until I get somewhere else, when I get that next raise, when I get that next job, when I get out of this season of my life. How about today, everybody? Quit living with destination disease. Here's why. Watch this. Rebecca has a five-gallon bucket, everybody, from Home Depot. I know that's not theologically correct. She has a five-gallon water jar. She doesn't own the well. She doesn't own the spring. She doesn't have a water truck. All she has is a five-gallon jar, and that's what she chose to use to be generous. See, it's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. What do you have that you can use to live generously for the Lord? For the Bible says in Luke chapter number 16, verse number 10, it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. You see, a lot of people want more, but you got to choose and decide to be faithful with the little before God gives you more. Because he, he, he knows how to invest. How many know what I'm saying, right? And, and, and whoever is dishonest with a very little will also be dishonest with very much. See, God is watching how we handle. Church, this is for us corporately. God is watching how we handle money. God is watching how we handle time. Okay, let me get a little practical. Everybody gets tight when you use the word money. Okay, let me get some different words. God is watching how we handle our words how we steward our words, how we steward our opportunities. Uh, He's watching how we love people. Come on, everybody. Number three, I think this is the third thing that uh, Rebecca would say to us. I think she would say this. I think she would say, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. 
I know you're looking for something profound, but that's what I got, okay? Uh, and, and, and I know this is a little bit of a cheesy story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. And, and, and it's the story of this guy that he had this thriving business, and he was doing really well financially on this earth. And, and, and he thought, wow, I can't wait to get to heaven because I heard the preacher talk about in heaven we're all going to have mansions. And so he found himself, he died, and he's at the pearly gates, and Peter's going to give him a tour through heaven. And he gives him a tour through heaven, and he comes across, to, I don't know, can I just pretend some of your mansions are up there already and he goes walking and as he's going to his mansion he comes across uh, uh, he, he comes uh, he comes across Jim Grenz's uh, uh, mansion and he and he comes across Keith's and Lori sorry I didn't mean to leave you out Kay all right and he comes across them and wow that's Jim Grenz's mansion whoa and he marvels like wow and then he secretly thinks if that's Jim's mansion ooh, I can't wait to see mine yeah, he comes across Keith and Laura. That's Keith. Whoa, that's their mansion. Oh, I can't wait to see mine. They finally round the corner, and there's this building that's halfway done. Two by fours, unfinished work, nothing is going on. And Peter says, there's your mansion. He says, what's up with that? And Peter responded and said, we did the best with what you sent us. <laughs> now, I know that's not theologically correct, or is it? Or is it? Or what about the old miser that decided, man, I've earned, a, I've spent a whole lifetime making my fortunes and making my millions. And he told his wife, when I die, I ain't giving my money to anybody. I'm going to take it with me. How many know you can't take it with you, right, everybody? He told her, he said, when I die, I want you to put that box of money in my casket and bury me with it. Sure enough, he died, and they had an open casket. Everybody came up and gave their last remarks. The last person up was his wife, and she went up there with a box, set the box in the casket. The preacher closed the box, and as the casket was lowering down in the hole, one of her friends said, what was in the box? And she said, well, he wanted to be buried with all his money, so I wrote him a check and put it in there. That's a smart woman right there. Come on now. Man, one thing I've learned, don't you mess with these women. They'll get you. They will get you, right? Now, is that theologically correct? Well, we're just having a little fun, but maybe there's more theology to that than we recognize because Matthew chapter number 6 says this to us. Uh, it says, do not store yourselves treasures on this earth. It doesn't say it's not okay to have things. The question is, do things have you? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But watch this. This is a very interesting verse. It says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How in the world do you send money to heaven? Whatever you invest in on this earth that has kingdom principles behind it is setting for yourself treasures in heaven. I tell you all the time, we take 10% of everything that you give, and we're sending this team. We, never, we didn't stand up here and say, we got 14 people going, we got to have five grand. No, we stewarded what you already gave, and all of you can't go, but 14 are going, and they're going to go, and they're going to bless people, and therefore the money that you've given is being stored up in heaven because it has a kingdom principle behind it. Right, everybody? Come on and say a good amen to that. Um, and then I love this verse number 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Most people quote this, not most, but some people quote this the wrong way. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. No, where your treasure is. When you start investing in something, then your heart will follow hard 
after that. I just want to give you a real quick report. I want you to know something. Because of your faithfulness and giving, we're a church that's four and a half years old, everybody. And I want you to know because of your faithfulness and giving, one of the things that we invest in, we turn around and give at least 10% away. I want you to know by the time we get to somewhere around July, August, September of this year, because of your faithfulness and giving, we will have invested $100,000 in other church planters across America that are starting churches. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Because 95% of people that are giving their lives to the Lord today in church are giving their lives to the Lord in a church that is five years old or younger. How many know that's good soil to plant into, right, everybody? <laughs> let me tell you one more thing. Uh, we committed that we would help support and be a part of this Dream Center in Short Creek where our team is going. And again, because of your faithfulness in giving, uh, before this year is over, we will have given that ministry to help these young girls $50,000 uh, to rehab, to know about Jesus. And we are feeding 65% of that entire community every single week. Can somebody say amen? See, that's kingdom stuff. Now, I'm not going to get up here and talk about all the things, but that doesn't mention all the other ministries that are local and in our own backyard that we do things. Friends, God, a generous man, will prosper. How many know that? I believe one of the reasons God's blessing rate is, I believe one of the reasons that we came through uh, this, uh, this pandemic and a lot of baby churches didn't is because a generous person will prosper. Can I get an amen in the house today, right? Let me give you one more. I'm almost out of time, and I got way more notes. How many know that's always the problem, right? Number four, I think she would say, you're more likely to act yourself into feeling than feel yourself into acting. Yeah. In other words, do it, and then don't worry about, do I feel like it or not? Uh, because we very seldom feel like giving our time and our talent and our tithes. We very seldom feel like being generous. It's one thing to be generous to people that you know personally and love, but can you be generous to the person that's on the street corner with a sign saying, I'm hungry? Hmm. I don't feel like helping, Ken. I don't feel like serving. But once you do, it's contagious. Once you invest, man, I'm telling you, then your heart. Make, here's what I want to say, and then I want to move on to the closing. Make a generous covenant, a covenant of giving. Uh, a covenant is a principle, it's not a feeling. If you're waiting to feel like giving, then I got to show some sad puppy dogs on the wall. And then I got to compulse and manipulate. How I many know you're glad? I hope you're glad that you're in a place that we're not doing that. But if you make a covenant, it's bigger than a feeling. Feelings will lie to you, but a decision will last. Okay, let me get to Rahab, uh, excuse me, Rebecca's final words. Here they are. I think as she's heading back to the stand, she would turn around, and here's what she would say to us. I think she would say this. Even the smallest act of generosity makes a difference. This is not about an amount. It's about an attitude. Watch this. It was only water. It was only two hours. In the scope of things, it didn't look like world-changing. And I'm not going to change the world, but maybe with my bucket and my two hours, I can change my world. Amen, everybody? There's a card on your chair today. We use them around here quite often. It's not the Easter card. It says a little something extra. I double-dog dare you to take that card this week and, and just do something for somebody. 
I don't know, when you're pulling through Starbucks, give the lady a $10 bill and say, hey, pay for a part of the person in back of me and give them this card. Use that card just to remind people that God hasn't forgotten them and he's a generous God, not a mean God, not a judgmental God. Come on, everybody. I said, all of us, listen, I'm doing everything I can to help you be generous. Next step, I'll have to put the $10 on the chair for you. All right, everybody? Come on now, all right? But even the littlest amount. Matthew chapter number 10, verse number 42. I'm running out of time, so I'll just reference it there for you. Number two. I think as she's departing and heading back into the stands, I think she would say, the impact of your generosity will outlive you. If Miss Zeal was still alive, Miss Zeal is the Sunday school teacher I had when I was six, seven, eight years old. Miss Zeal kept me after class because I was a very depressed little kid, believe it or not. I was very timid, very fearful, very depressed. And she noticed that in my life. And I'll never forget, I still can imagine it. She had one of them big beehive hairdos. Anybody remember those? If you don't remember them, thank God, okay? I'm just. But Miss Zeal had one of them big old beehive hairdos. And she kept me. She said, Kenny, I want you to stay after class. If Miss Zeal was still alive, I'd get on an airplane and I'd fly down to see her. And I would just tell her, I would say, thanks for your generosity. Because I truly believe that the origins and the roots and the seed that was planted in my life all those years ago in that class and where I'm at today is because you kept me after class. And I remember this to this day. She was the first person. I remember it in my mind. I play it often. She said, Kenny, God loves you, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. That rocked my world because I didn't think I was valuable to anybody. But all of a sudden, I got a revelation that the God that Miss Zeal served had a plan and a purpose for my life. Wow. That's why I'm passionate still about kids' ministry, and I know we make a joke out of it, and I know I tell you to get your heinies back there and serve our kids. But you have no idea the ripple effect on a kid just like me that we can have on somebody's life. Right, everybody? It's why I believe in Short Creek. We, some, most of us will never meet those ladies that we're going to go and minister to. But your dollar went. Your prayers went. Come on, everybody, right? That's the way it works. This church, let me just, if I don't even finish the rest of my notes, let me get this to you. This church that we planted four and a half years ago, it's not even about us. We're reaping some of the benefits but I believe there are benefits that are coming that some of us will never reap the benefits because we're understanding that the impact of our generosity will outlive us. Lynn Balter, I did his funeral yesterday. He was one of the first people that showed up to our Bible study. He was our first trustee and served on the trustee board. I remember talking to him about this. He, right now, he don't even know this. He's in heaven now. But there are the benefits of the investment that he made. Can I just let you in on a little secret? Look around this room. This is, this is not even full compared to some days. Most second services, there's people sitting out in the outreach center across the back wall, out through there. How many know it's time for us to have a building that we can do bigger things and reach more people? How many know that, right? I mean, or are you just satisfied with, ooh, I just like our little holy huddle here on Sunday. 
But how many know there's more people we ought to reach? And there's more outreach centers that we ought to have. And, that, and how many know all these kids back here, they're growing up. We're going to need a place for a youth ministry soon. How many know it's time for God to show us what is our next step? But it's going to take some people with a generous heart that it's not all about what we get here, but there are hundreds of others that are out there that need a bigger net to come to. Am I right about it? Come on and say a good amen to that. I got to close. I got to close. But let me give you just one last one. I won't even preach it. Number three, I think she would say, when you give, you're really given to the Lord. When you give, you're really given to the Lord. And let me give you the scripture reference for Proverbs chapter number 11, verse number 25. This is the Bible. I didn't make this up. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. See, the dream teamers, you've learned this. Because you come in here and you have fought some of the greatest battles. You have fought every devil in hell, it feels like. And you show up here and you get behind that counter and you go back there to the kids and you get at the door and you stand in a raining parking lot and you welcome others in. That, and you realize that's the greatest place to be. Why? Because when you refresh others, you yourself get refreshed. Right? AJ, I don't know why you guys show up here every week. You come to this service, you've worked more than 40 hours, more than 50 hours, more than 60 hours on the road, traveling, flying here and there, Lisa, and yet every service you show up. Why? Not because I'm tired and I don't have time, but I need to be refreshed. And a generous man will prosper. That's the Bible, everybody. Amen. Well, I hope you'll receive that today. I got to end right there. I got to end right there. I told Janessa, I said, I wanted to do the generosity illustration, but I don't know if anybody carries money anymore. So let me just tell you about it. We used to every once in a while spontaneously say, I, want, I need as many people as can bring me a $1 bill. And I remember the first time we did it, we had just opened. Valerie was sitting here. I said, everybody bring me a $1 bill. I said, Janessa, I said, does anybody call it, carry a $1 bill anymore? I don't know. Maybe they carry 100 I need everybody to bring me a $100 bill. I mean. I said, if that, if that dollar bill breaks you, then you got bigger issues. And man, inevitably, we get hundreds and hundreds. One day, we had a pizza delivered here, and I did that. And we, we, we tipped the pizza delivery guy like $1,000. He was as happy as could be. He never loved pepperoni more. How I many you know what I'm saying, right? But I remember the first time we did it, I don't even know how much money it was, three, $400 of dollar bills and a few fives and 20s. It was Valerie's first time I walked over and said, the rule is when everybody just does a little bit, a dollar, it can have a big impact on one person. Valerie took that money. She didn't spend it on herself. She used that money and launched what we now know as our outreach ministry. A generous man will prosper. Amen. I'm all done. Would you stand with me? Come on.